0: Hey, good morning. How are you? Yeah, doing all right? So Operation Christmas Child, well, first let's just say this. Well, I really enjoyed the worship today. And when I say that, what I mean is, yeah, I'm thankful for the team that leads us, thankful for the crew that, that invests and rehearses and all that. But what I mean, I think more than that is that, uh, you know, every now and then I find myself in a place where I really need to leave sort of worries behind or concerns behind or I don't know what it is, but I feel like I just kind of sneak into God's presence a little more fully, and that was today. So if that was for you, if you're watching at home, that was for you, then that's great. Uh, So you can pick up a uh, a box out here in the lobby just outside of these doors and fill it up, and uh, details are in the E-News about when to bring it back, middle of November, in that range. We would love for you to participate, you know, during the season that we're in. It can be a difficult time, and we can turn inward when we have difficult times. And that's normal, and some of that's good, because, you know, when you are dealing with a, you know, a health issue or a, a physical infection or whatever, your body does that. It kind of turns inward and does some attention and healing, and that's good. But it's really important that we find ways to give back and to look outward and to put our attention and our, our thoughts Uh, Maybe our love, whatever it is that we have to give, our stuff, our money, our time to other people. And Operation Christmas Child is one way to do that. You'll find some other ways to do that, I'm sure. Maybe volunteering in our food bank on Saturday, whatever it is. So we'd love for you to participate in that. Um, After church uh, today here in this room, in this place, we'll have one of our first uh, classes Um, that is, you're welcome to hang around and be a part of. So uh, we have a group that is a discussion group that has met previously and they're kicking it off again and they're actually just going to meet right in here. So uh, after church, uh, you know, you can make use of the lobby or the parking lot like a lot of folks do to just connect briefly to folks, um, you know, thoughtfully and all that, of course. But if you would like to hang around and discuss some stuff from previous week's messages and faith and how all this time is wearing on you or how you're growing, then you're welcome to do that. Jim Brandt, who's on our leadership team and is right here in the service, he'll be uh, leading that. Him and Lori uh, are such a a great uh, part of our church. So we'd love for you to get to know some people. And if you would like to do that, we'd love for you to hang out, okay? So we're in this series It's called Pact, and it's really all about the book of Ephesians. I hope you were at church at the park last week. Did you enjoy church at the park? We we would love to keep doing it, but we're just afraid it's going to snow. So, you know, I mean, that's a lot to... To plan, and it's a big deal for the team to get ready for, and it's actually a little bit expensive for us as a church. So we're really glad that we were able to do that about, I don't know, we did it three times, I think, this summer, and uh, but now we're kind of back into this groove. I know schools are kicking off some fall break stuff this week and some next week. Um, our hope is that as we go through this season together that you can hang with us and that we can work through this book of Ephesians together because... Uh, it's scripture that will light our way And help us find our path When I was growing up My dad would travel for work He worked for IBM And occasionally he would be sent on a, a work trip Big project or something like that And every now and then he would be sent to the same place For you know a period of a year or so Maybe once a month Or maybe even a year and a half And he would come back He would, he would bring stuff He would bring all kinds of things really. He would bring stories of places we had never been, places we'd never seen, and so I, I heard stories about the autobahn. He traveled for a year to Germany, uh, once a month. I heard stories about weird stuff that he ate in in Taipei, Taiwan. Just stuff that we just thought, "Oh, Dad, how did you do it?" And uh, and I was little, and you know, this happened throughout my you know elementary years, middle school years, even some of my high school years. When I was pretty little, I got used to the idea that that dad might, when he would show up back at the house from his uh, trip back from the airport there in Lexington, that he might have something in his suitcase for me. And I had this idea because when I was really little, I mean, maybe first grade, there was this thing that I wanted. Dad took a trip to New York with my mom, and he came back from this trip. It was a work trip. He opened up his suitcase, and there was this, this toy that I had wanted that there weren't any available in our vicinity. He found one in New York. It was a little it was a little motorcycle and it had a little figure that sat on the motorcycle, and this this was Evil Knievel. You remember Evil Knievel? I mean, now that I say that out loud, I can't believe mom and dad let me idolize somebody named Evil. That's just it's just terrible. But this little evil Knievel, he would sit on this motorcycle. But the, the best part was that he kind of fit onto this little contraption that I would wind up. Anybody have that toy growing up? Yeah, a few of you did. And I had seen some of my friends that had it. I really, really wanted one of these. And he brought it back. And it was just, I mean, I was maybe five years old, but I remember that day and that hour, the first hour I had this toy like it was yesterday. And from that moment on, when dad would come back from a trip, I would wonder, is there anything in there for me? And occasionally there would be. And so dad would come home, Sometimes after a week or a week and a half, I think the longest trip he took was probably two weeks, and he would lug his suitcase up into the bedroom, flop it onto the bed, and open it up, and we would have missed dad terribly, and so we would sit around the, the bedroom and, and watch him unpack, and he would sort stuff, you know, dirty clothes, clothes he didn't wear, suits, and all kinds of things. Dad flew first class because he, you know, it was the 70s and 80s, and IBM had money to throw around, so... He would bring back little salt and pepper shakers from first class. And so we had about 100 of these in our kitchen that we used all the time. And so he would unpack all of these things. And I would keep an eye out for, well, I learned to know what it would look like. It was usually wrapped in a a shopping bag or something like that. And occasionally he would open it up and he would have something for me in his suitcase. Most of what he had in his suitcase was his stuff. But every now and then, he had something for me. This series is called Pact, and there are endless uses for this suitcase metaphor. Things that you're carrying around, stuff you shouldn't, baggage. Things that you carry that are good, we'll call those useful tools. But then there's some stuff in your suitcase that isn't really for you, it's for other people, it's for them. And maybe a question that you ought to ask, and there's several questions that will set up this next bit of this series for a few weeks. Maybe the question you ought to ask is this, what's in your suitcase for other people? I mean, to be sure, there are some things that are obviously not for other people. We've talked about that for a couple of weeks, this, this, this idea of a, a theological toothbrush, if you will, right? The one thing that's in your suitcase that you won't share with anybody, even you know, married folk, it's your toothbrush. That's for you. It's, it's absolutely for you, and it's essential. And in the book of Ephesians, there are all kinds of things like that that make up a theological, what we will say is a toothbrush. It's essential. you got to have it. If you don't have it, you go to the store to get it. You want it with you. It's there. You can't travel without it. If you travel without it, you're going to pick up all kinds of stuff you shouldn't pick up. You're going to think things you shouldn't think. You're going to treat people in ways you shouldn't treat them. It's important that you have it in your suitcase, but it's for you. Well, it's kind of for you, isn't it? Your toothbrush, just to dig a little deeper on that. I mean, it's awful when you can't brush your teeth, but it's not just awful for you, is it? (laughs) It's awful for others too, but it's mostly for you. But there are some things in your suitcase that you're carrying that are essentially for other people They construct how you relate to other people. They determine how you see other people, whether you see them as a nuisance or a value, whether you see them as loved or a burden, whether you see them as somebody that you want to welcome into your circle as you journey along with your suitcase, or you see other people as just this necessary part of of how things are, right? Every now and then you see the bumper sticker, you know, that declares that life would be great if it weren't for the people, or somebody's philosophy on social media that says, you know, because people are so awful, that's why I have a dog. This idea that, that it's the people that make life difficult. What's in your suitcase that you have for other people? How do you see them? How do you view them? What do you have to give We talked a little bit at the park about this idea that as we travel through this life with our bag, we're going to run into other people. A little friction gets created and something comes spilling out. What comes spilling out as you go through this season, this this COVID-19 pandemic, this election season, as racial tension still is present... And it will be for a long time. If you're thinking that because the headlines seem to ebb a little bit, that it's gone away, it hasn't. One thing will happen and they'll be right back. When you bump into somebody else, when there's friction, what comes spilling out of you? What is it? As you ponder that, you might think of an interaction you had at the store or with a customer service person. or somebody at work, maybe somebody at home. What came spilling out of you? What was there? In your little cup that's inside of you, your reservoir, what is ready for others to partake in? Is it? Is it grace? Is it mercy? Is it abruptness? Is it rudeness? Is it harshness? What is it? As you ponder what's available to you, this is the question that we're really asking What determines your capacity to love? What determines your capacity? Meaning, when you think about what's there and what's ready to come spilling out, obviously it's in you, it just comes out, right? It comes out in a moment when you least expect it. Maybe it comes out and it's wonderful and it's beautiful and you're able to give something that you didn't even know you had. But the question that we want to ask is, what determines your capacity? How much do you have to give others? What does that even look like? You have a tank, right? It's a metaphor, proverbial. You got a tank inside of you. What fills it? How does it get filled? When it feels like it's empty, which you occasionally feel, every now and then you think, "Ah, oh, I just feel empty. I need... What is it that you need? You need time alone. You need more scripture. You need more worship. You need something else, carbs. What is it that you need... <laughs> to fill you up so that you have something to give. And what is your capacity? You know what this is like, right? I mean, sometimes sometimes you're in a, a social situation or you're interacting with people you love and the love just flows. You have it to give and it feels good. It, it kind of happens effortlessly. You're listening, you're being thoughtful, you're present in the conversation. You haven't taken some weird vacation and come back to a story and you miss the whole middle and you have no idea what to say next. And many times when the love flows, it just feels good and relationships deepen and it feels like something of Jesus is present. Something of God is in the middle of that. And then there are other times when you feel like if you get poked one more time, somebody's going to get the back end of you and it's not going to be pretty and you have nothing else left to give. In other words, your, your capacity is completely tapped. So what does that even look like? Is it, is it this big? Is it this big? Is it different for you than it is for you? Is it something that you can refill? How do you refill it? And how do you maintain this idea that there is some capacity that you have to love? What determines it? Where does it come from? Where does it come from? How do you replenish it? This is an important question. And the reason it's important is because you'll find yourself asking this after an exchange with somebody, and you'll think, Where did that come from? And why did I say that? And now I have to make amends. I thought I was doing better. I mean, I slept good. I'm eating good. I feel good. How come I didn't have more than that to give? How does it get replenished? Our little camper that we use, we've learned of course all kinds of things. We didn't know anything about camping before we bought this thing and this little camper that we have has a water tank, a fresh water tank. And it holds, I know this because I've read the specs on the camper, 30 gallons, 30 gallons of water. That meant nothing to me, literally nothing. I know what a gallon is because I've seen a gallon of milk, right? but I don't know what a gallon of water means to me. I know how many bowls of cereal I can eat with a gallon of milk. But I don't have a meter on my shower. I don't have one on my faucet at home either. I mean, there is, and I pay for it, but I don't pay attention to it. I just pay the bill, same as you. So how many gallons means this? How many gallons do you need to take a shower? I don't even know. What about to brush your teeth? How much do you drink a day? And so I have in my camper 30 gallons, and we went off camping to a place where we didn't have, uh, you know, we were just all there, not, not hooked up to anything. And I'm wondering, gosh, I don't even know how long this is going to last. So I'm, I'm rationing it. You know, I'm going to brush my teeth with a little bitty cup of water, and I'm careful about how much we're using for this. Shower, I'm just like a little tiny cup, right? All of these things, because I, I don't know. H- how long is this little 30-gallon thing going to last? I'm wondering about my capacity, right? Well, we went camping. To a pretty neat place and all we had to do was plug this hose up to this other spigot and it plugged up to my camper and I took a big old long shower because it didn't matter what the capacity was. My, my tank was irrelevant at that moment. When you give something to somebody other than love and it spills out of you, does that mean your capacity was empty? How do you refill it? What does that even mean? look like? It might help some of you if we look at this from the the opposite angle, from the opposite view, okay? And the question that we'll ask to help us get there is this. What creates conflict between you and other people? That's a little easier these days, isn't it? What causes you angst and friction? Where's the rub, someone might say. When do you feel a little irritated? When do you feel like what you want to give is anything but love, anything but grace? When do you feel the compulsion to hold somebody else to a standard, this is, this is important, that you don't even meet? Where's the conflict? Where's the anger? Where's the withdrawal? When do you find yourself thinking things like We're only going to get as far as you want to be honest with yourself, so let's say that, okay? When you find yourself thinking things like those people, maybe it's not general for you. Maybe it has a name and it's specific. Maybe your conflict, your anger, your capacity is completely not present for him or for her. That's what I mean when we ask the question, when you have anything other than love to give, what is going on? Where's your capacity? How do you refill the cup of the stuff that only belongs to God? And what do you have to give? And how do you give it? It's a good question. It's a good bunch of questions as we watch our culture lose their collective minds. And we are a part of that. Because you and I are present in the middle of all of that conflict. In fact, I dare say that you're a part of at least a dozen conversations through any given week where you have the opportunity to either speak life or speak hurt. Where you have the opportunity to give love or give judgment. Where you have the opportunity to give understanding and meet somebody and empathy with only the mercy and grace that God can give. Or you have the opportunity to, again, hold someone else or another group to a standard that even you can't meet. And it's all around us. And we're a part of it. In other words, you're in the ocean, lots of fish around, and you and I, we're swimming too every day. And it's happening in high school and middle school. It's happening at the hardware store and at King Soopers. and It happens in your neighborhood and it happens with your friends over text and it happens in every imaginable conversation in every place. So what spills out of you? What creates the conflict? Where does it come from? What's your capacity to love? How does it get replenished? How, does you, how, do, you, how do you fill up that that cup that's present in you so that when you get bumped, what spills out isn't vitriol and hate and disappointment and frustration or even closed off and distant, but just the love that has been given to me and to you. And how does that even work? Well, the passage that we'll spend time in over the next few weeks is Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to spend time just in those verses, 11 through 22. There's a couple verses that are right before verse 11 that are really helpful. It starts at verse 8. In fact, Ephesians 2, verse 8 we focused in on last week at the park and it's all about grace and there's a couple verses that follow of course eight nine and ten but the passage that we're going to focus in on is this passage starts with verse 11 and goes through 22 and often when we go through a book we went through philippians earlier in the pandemic we've gone through various books here often we'll kind of you know make some ground cover some ground and we'll kind of plow through some things it's pretty rare that we stop and slow down as slow as we're going to go When we are going through this passage But it's important that we go slow Because the tools that are present in this passage Are critical tools That if you don't have You're going to open up your suitcase And you're going to think I forgot my toothbrush They are theological imperatives And most of us don't have them with us It's not an overstatement to say that if we did have them, we had them at one time and we've forgotten about them, or maybe we didn't have them ever to begin with because of the church we grew up in or that we don't know something about the foundation of how God created relationships and love. The implications are endless. But what you can do over the next several weeks is take some time on your own to read this section of scripture. You can read the whole of the chapter if you want and you can just keep on reading if you like. But what would be helpful is if you spend some time focusing on these verses and then read it in a few different translations. Or maybe Googled some issues that you see rising up in these verses and decide that you're gonna do your own little bit of study and and ponder a little bit. Or maybe you wanna hang around after church And discuss it with people so that you just don't have to listen to me talk about it endlessly. You get to share your own thoughts and let somebody else kind of create some friction around it. And this is how iron sharpens iron and we come to know something about God that we didn't know before. But what if? What if we did that? I mean, this passage is immeasurably rich. And what we'll mine out of it over the next few weeks might help you and I figure out some of the places in which we're significantly stuck. When Paul digs into these verses, a lot of theologians believe that not only is this one of the most important, probably the most important passage in Ephesians, maybe all of the New Testament, that, that Ephesians, as we said the first week, pound for pound, has more theology in its verses than any other New Testament book. I mean, Romans is... Oh my goodness, talk about a treatise theologically, but it's a lot longer than Ephesians. It feels like Paul removed like every other word and decided he was going to just write it as succinctly and powerfully as he could. And in this passage, you'll see, and this is a little small, but maybe you can see it on the big screen up above, this passage describes one of the most toxic and damaging conflicts in history. Does that sound like today? This passage describes a relationship between what we'll come to understand are the Israelites, the nation of Israel, and everybody else. There's a name for those folks. Most of us fall into that category of Gentiles. And why it's there, and how it was viewed even. What Paul says about this, it's almost as if he read the headlines in 2020 and went back and wrote Ephesians. Not only that, it explains the foundations of peace and reconciliation. If, if you struggle and, and wonder with uh, all the things that are happening, whether it's politically or racially or even just in context of a relationship that has nothing to do with the headlines, but that is creating a lack of peace for you, then what you're gonna read in these verses will give you a foundation to move forward in a way that you maybe have never had before. And it could be that you're a follower of Jesus and have been for decades. But your understanding of grace and mercy will be shaped and formed by what Paul writes. And then it points the way forward for us as we try to recover, well, fill in the blank from what? Pandemic, unemployment, financial straits, whatever it is you're trying to recover from. The racial tension and wondering, will there be any resolve? As you read the headlines wondering, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? And it's impossible to tell. And of course, we march slowly toward the first week of November, and I don't think any of us believe that the election is going to solve the problems that have surfaced over the last number of months. In fact, many of the folks that I've spoken with fear they will only get what? worse. That's a terrible weight to bear. So what is the way forward? Would you believe and have enough trust that a document that was written centuries ago by a man you've never met to a group of people that you've never met is actually a living document that it might have the anecdote, that it might have the stories, the application, the... The ability to point your way forward. I don't know what you believe about Scripture, but that's what I believe about the document that we have, the Bible, and that's what I believe about the letter to the Ephesians, that it can help you find your way. Here's one verse for you today, okay? It's right in the middle of this passage. Paul writes this His purpose, he's talking about Jesus. You'll see the context. We're going to pick it apart, of course. His purpose was to create in himself, say it with me, one new humanity. That's unfathomable, isn't it? I mean, from where we sit today, we might believe, well, either his purpose was thwarted, something got in the way, something got hijacked along the way, but it feels like it hasn't happened yet. Is that where we are, that it's yet to happen? Because if that's the case, then we're waiting just like they were. What is going on and how has this not come to fruition? Why does it feel like everything is such a mess? Paul describes it all, but his purpose Jesus' purpose was to create, where? In himself, in Christ, one new humanity out of the two, thus making what? Would you like some peace? I love peace. In fact, I like peace so much, I fake peace. I pretend there's peace when there is no peace. I act like there's peace when, you know, we ought to be having a throwdown. That's how much I love peace. As it turns out, that's not peace-loving, right? That's peace-fabricating. The peace that, that Paul writes about in Ephesians has such deep, important theological, practical, relational, sociological, political ramifications, and it's up to the people of God to bring this into fruition. Peace is the center piece, if you will, of this passage. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their what? This this little verse and a half, the last part of 15 and the first part of 16. Gives you the promise of this passage. The promise of this passage means that there is a reality that our current circumstances keep us shrouded from. That there is something on the other side of this reality that some who follow Jesus have embraced and see it every day. Well, you you see tension, they see hope. You see despair, they see a new reality coming in to be some people walk with this understanding every now and then i have a day when that happens maybe you do too where you know that all real hostility has been put to death that much of what we see is a vestige of the old and the new is really here oh that's that's not pollyanna I mean, that's not pretending and that's not faking it really is now after the last seven eight months i would suspect that most of us are skeptics about that but as we unfold this passage we'll see that god is up to some good stuff and i believe it and i bet you do too deep down and here's why you have the fingerprint of god on you In fact, eternity has been planted in your heart, according to Scripture. And even though you may be discouraged, even though you may occasionally be ready to give up or give in or toss it aside, God is working something out throughout the course of history, and you and I were a part of it. All we have to do is embrace and understand exactly what God is up to and join Him in His work. And so we want to do that, especially as it feels like, it's not really true, but it feels like uh, the next four weeks we'll find ourselves uh, maybe increasing the, the fevered pitch of conflict in our culture. And so to help us stay centered and to help us be in a place where we can really give something back and to help us simply be reminded of what God is up to, for the next four weeks at some point in each of our services we'll pray through the Lord's Prayer together as a church body here and we'll do it at home online and we'll focus in on a piece of it and so worship team's gonna come up and get ready to lead us in our last our last worship song but before they begin to lead us we will read through the Lord's Prayer together and as we do that it'll give us a chance to be thoughtful and reflect on the cadence of Jesus giving one of the most clear and profound answers to one of the most important questions. How then should we pray? And Jesus simply says, this is how you should pray. I mean, how many times was a question asked and Jesus responded with a question or dodged it and went around? Not this one. He just wants to be very clear with the people that are around him Look, if you're going to build your relationship with God, this is what it looks like. If you're going to have a conversation with God, structure it this way. Pray about these things. And we don't believe for a second that the the words of the Lord's Prayer are some sort of incantation or anything that we can just say with a rote memorization. But we do believe that the structure that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer teaches us what it means to have a thoughtful, fervent, open-hearted conversation with God. And so we'll focus in on one piece of the Lord's Prayer each of these four weeks as we hold our friends and our family up before God, as we hold our nation before the Lord. And each of us bring a different prayer before God and God hears them all and we will be comforted by this truth that God is near to the brokenhearted and that he is with us and that he will never leave us and that's true for me That's true for you and so here's what we'll do we'll recite through the Lord's Prayer together top to bottom this version is from the NIV maybe a little different than what you memorized growing up or what you remember saying and then I'll lead us in sort of a, a reflective prayer for this first little section and we'll work our way down over the next four weeks and so let's pray this together join me our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Lord, we echo these words. That your son spoke to his disciples and to us down through the ages, that many believers all over the world are reciting today in worship services. We echo these words because we believe that we want them to be deeply planted in us. And so we begin by saying, Our Father, you are a Father. You are in heaven. Holy is your name. There is none above you. So, right now, in the quietness with your heads bowed and eyes closed, just take a moment to tell God that from where you are, from where you sit, your perspective on his holiness. Just express it to him. I'll make a few statements. You pray in your heart. If you desire, even out loud, that's fine. And we begin by reflecting on God's holiness. Lord, you are other other than us. We are common. We are, yes, made in your image, stained by sin. But Lord, you are holy. every star has been placed by your hand you are mighty the earth spins at your pleasure because of your power the axis in its perfect place for the seasons knowing and believing that it is you who placed it there it is in fact you who hold it there holy is your name believe that this is Jesus' version of first things first oh how often we rush past all of this to what we need and what we want and what we have missed in everything is your sovereignty and your power be your name Lord holy is your name give us this gift of perspective who we are only in light of who you are only in light of your majesty your glory be your name and now as we declare through worship beautiful beautiful is your name we worship you lord we worship you